0: Welcome to the Edge of Work podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the Edge of Work podcast. And today I have the pleasure of having with me Nolan Church. Nolan is the founder and CEO of Continuum, which is a marketplace that connects world-class executives with venture-backed companies for fractional and full-time opportunities. I'm excited today to talk to Nolan really about what is work and how people can show up to work in new ways. Um, While full-time employment has always been an opportunity for people to Uh, work. Um, There are more other expansive and new ways that are out there in terms of uh, finding work. And there are more ways for companies to find top talent that don't always involve bringing on a full-time employee. And I'm going to talk to Nolan a little bit about that and what Continuum is doing uh, to be able to play a role in facilitating more of those opportunities between uh, fast-growing companies as well as top talent. Uh, So Nolan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, You come highly recommended uh, from our mutual friend, Nate Tanner. Big shout out to Nate. But before I dive in too much to talk about Continuum, I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question for you is, what was your first job growing up as a kid?
1: Thanks for having me on, Al. Uh, first job as a kid was when I was 16 years old. I was a pizza delivery boy for Barrows Pizza in Gilbert, Arizona.
0: Okay. Did you get, uh, you, you get some good benefits with that in terms of free pizza, I take it?
1: Uh, you know, looking back, I, in that moment, yes, they were good benefits. Um, looking back, I ate way too much pizza and probably threw on like 15 pounds in three months, which was not, not helpful for me. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I I worked at a golf course, and we used to get free food, which usually involved chicken fingers and cheeseburgers, which as a teenager was awesome and everything you could ever want and ask for. Uh, But I agree with you, maybe eating that on a consistent basis was not maybe the most healthy decision that I could make uh, back then, but certainly served a purpose for being a teenager. Okay. Right. Well, fortunately, we both have uh, both have matured from our teenagers and found other paths uh, outside of the food industry. But I would love to know, even before we talk about Continuum, what were you doing prior to founding Continuum? And what insight or problem came up that led you to decide, I want to found a company to solve this, this kind of problem?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you my, my full journey. So when I graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Ended up finding a job in recruiting, which I thought was basically just people applying online and then you know, hiring manager surfacing those profiles and they interview. Turns out it's way more strategic than that. Um, ended up through uh, my first manager, he brought me over to Google with him. I was at Google for about three years, uh, working on confidential projects and leadership recruiting. I then ended up joining DoorDash as the 56th employee, first recruiter, first HR hire. Was there for three years. We hired 800 people across the business and I built a 30-person recruiting team. Left DoorDash to join Carta as the chief people officer, right around 250 employees. Was there for about two and a half years and we hired about a thousand and I built a 70-person people team. What I failed to mention is is that at DoorDash, when I when I first joined, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never managed. I had never built a team. I'd never reported up through a CEO, board presentations, you name it, I hadn't done it and there's this great soundbite on Twitter which is go build your personal board of advisors. And I I totally agree with that advice and I tried to go do it and what I found was I did an amazing job of networking but when I was actually trying to solve a problem and I needed to pick up the bat phone and call for help I learned that I hadn't established reciprocity in those relationships and so I hadn't earned the right to pick up the phone and call. Hmm. So that's the first half. The second half is Um, I end up at, at Carta and I'm about a year in at Carta and my superpower is recruiting. And I'm getting calls all the time from executive search firms to like, you know, go look at another chief people officer role or something like that. It's something I wasn't interested in, but I was interested in investing, advising, and consulting. And I had absolutely zero deal flow. And that surprised me because for early stage companies, recruiting is one of the hardest problems for them to solve. And zero to like 2,000 employees, I feel like I'm one of the people that you would want to talk to when you're trying to solve those problems. And so I started wondering if if other people like me, non-CEO executives, were having problems finding deal flow and fractional deal flow specifically. And so it turns out now we've probably talked to about 1,500 executives at this point in time. And literally in every conversation when we say, do you want access to fractional opportunities? The response we get is an emphatic, hell yeah. And then it goes into all of the problems that they have today, which is number one, I'm not a marketer. I hate marketing myself. I'd much rather have my work speak for itself. Problem number two, executive recruiters control all opportunity. And the only opportunities that they hit me up about are full-time roles. And I'm not interested in those right now. Problem number three, if I go and I like actually do fractional work, I don't want to spend time with contracts, taxes, invoices, payments, business insurance, what we call the operating system. And so the founding insight to Continuum primarily came from the executive side, we call the supply side of our business, in that there are so many amazing people that are currently under leveraged that whether they have a full-time job or whether they are, like we call them full-time fractional, like actually fully doing fractional work with all of their time. Most of these people want more, and they need an operating system that helps them. So as you mentioned earlier, Continuum is a talent marketplace for executives, but we are also building out the operating system for fractional executives.
0: I I, I like how you pulled out some of the common uh, threads from different parts of your experience that led you to bubble up into uh, building Continuum. So I'd love to go perhaps a little bit further. Talk to me a little bit more, at least so far, what that operating system looks like, and also just how the marketplace kind of works and transacts. Totally.
1: So the way the operating system works is if you think about building a house, the foundation of the house is high quality demand generation. And so this is the problem that I had when I was at Card. I had no deal flow for fractional opportunities. And so the first thing that we do is solve that problem by connecting companies to talent. And the way that we think about this is like, from the company standpoint, this is our biggest value proposition. Um, there's three jobs to be done. Job number one is the advisor slash coach. Job number two is project work that typically has like a specific start and end. Like when we finish this thing, it's, you know, packaged up in a certain way and all done. And then job number three is interim leadership. And so um, as we've gotten closer to these companies, we've learned that when they have one of these problems, the first stop that they go to is their investors and their immediate network. And it turns out that even though investors are amazingly connected, their primary job is not a talent connector. And so they reach this local maximum. And so the high level of what we're trying to build on the demand side for companies is a global knowledge maximum. When you have any sort of problem, right, and if you do not have the staff internally to solve that problem or you do not have the bandwidth internally to solve that problem, you should be reaching out to Continuum to get access to execs and experts that can help you solve it immediately. So that's the the foundation of the house, it's high quality demand generation. The next layer up from that is my back office. So as I mentioned earlier, contracts, taxes, invoices, payments, business insurance, um, business formation, paying subcontractors, there's a whole host of things that like once you really get into this work that isn't well solved with the existing tools so think about like you know today quickbooks is the primary solution every time i go in and look at quickbooks like my eyes like start to bleed i get anxiety i'm spending like 4 to 6 hours at the end of every month closing it like we think that should be entirely automated because when an executive or expert decides to do this work they are not opting in to spending 6 hours a month or 8 hours a month closing their books and dealing with you know quickbooks and tracking down ap and all the sort of stuff, sorts of things that they should just abstract away for continual. And then the third piece of the house, which is what we're building right now is what we call uh, the storefront. And so you can imagine a world to where in the future, when an executive is, is doing some of this work either fractionally, or this is like their full-time thing of what they're, all, they're doing, um, they need to have a place to tell people exactly what they do, what services they offer, what services they don't offer, and then some, similar to Airbnb, they need to have like, here are the validated testimonials of people that I have actually worked with versus what we see in today's world of LinkedIn, which is like, hey, have all of your friends give you a recommendation, which nobody reads or gives a shit about. Um, so those are the three pieces of the operating system and, and exactly what we're building right now.
0: There's there's a couple things I want to dive into a little bit. The first thing is just to validate uh, part of the OS, that you're, the operating system that you're talking about. As, as someone who is a uh, independent uh, worker, consultant, solopreneur, et cetera, uh, the amount of operating system elements that you actually have to take care of and do before you show up and do the work or after you actually do the work is a lot more than I think people realize. And it just ratchets. I, I would hope it might be a little bit better for smaller growth stage startups. But if you're serving a Fortune 500 company of any kind, it it ratchets up quite a bit once you throw in procurement legal at anything like that. Uh, And, and what's also interesting to me is that having spent a lot of time over the past year talking with uh, not so much fractional executives, but more independent business owners, coaches, consultants, solo, uh, et cetera. um, uh, uh, There isn't really a good playbook or place to really even sometimes figure out how to handle some of these things. Right. Or, 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 um, what, you know, what do you even, you know, in some cases, what can you even push back on, right? You know, in, in some cases of, 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 the process, right? Um, and I have, um, a, as an independent, you know, business person, I have had times where I have had to uh, politely walk away from work or, or turn down things because after once I did kind of the math in terms of what the work was going to be, but then what the work about the work was going to amount to yeah. uh, just doing the opportunity cost on it. I just realized it, it may not be the, the best fit for, for me right now. Um, so I, I I say that more just to to validate some of the operating system elements that I think um, you're trying to uh, abstract or automate out of uh, because those are real things and that I can tell you as an independent business owner that I did not think about that are very very real and cause very very much pain and friction.
1: Yeah, it's we have an interesting aperture because now we're we have hundreds of executives on the platform. Yes, and and now that we are seeing them get deals that are off of Continuum and bring them onto Continuum, we are seeing some of the terms that companies include. Um, And so things that come up all the time that you don't really think about until you get into this line of work is IP assignment, like who actually owns the work product. Um, And then one of my favorites that I think is is starting to change, um, partially because we're pushing it really hard, is if I go work in a company, uh, one of the things that you get from me is my network. And so, you know, oftentimes companies will like bring me in to help bridge a gap on the the people operations role or the head of talent role. And it's I started realizing that as I started like giving out my network to, for free, these companies started hiring people that I surfaced to them. And meanwhile, they're paying executive recruiters on the order of like a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars for the type of talent that I'm giving them for free. And I'm starting to wonder, well. Why am I not being compensated in the same way that executive search is being compensated? And so another one of these terms that we start to think about very often that would, would benefit solopreneurs and contributors is if you do access my network and we hire somebody that I would get 25 or 30% of the first year's base salary. And so those are, those are just small things that people don't consider until they get into this work and they get taken advantage of. And that's ultimately what we're trying to help them with.
0: It, that, that's a really great point and, and I know we're here to, to talk about continuum but one other uh, other company that, I, that always comes to mind when you talk about this is a company out there called pallet um, and basically what they've done is that they've allowed uh, individuals to find ways to monetize their networks and also turned individuals almost into uh, mini job board digital job boards right and so uh, the theory is particularly if you have an audience of any kind um, you can start to offer up uh, pretty uh, easy to use, Uh, job board and monetize that either on the side of the person who uh, posts the job or the company that posts the job, or perhaps even charging almost like a membership, if you will, or some access to, you know, talent opportunities and things. Um, And I've seen, uh, you know, some kinds of successes with it uh, for people who do have uh, good networks and good audiences, because, um, you know, and and I think also the benefit there sometimes is particularly with larger job boards or things that are out there like that. Um, it's very easy to get lost in the noise, but if you can have you know a potential individual with a niche like people ops or or, or yeah. talent or heads of recruiting, a very specific to uh, and a community around that, um, I think there's a lot of you know interesting kind of opportunities that are there.
1: We um, we learned something really interesting on this last piece. Al on this point is that yeah, uh, there's a there's a company that launched at a YC last year called Talent Drop, and and they basically mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's basically just a job board with bounties associated for every job, and mm-hmm. We tested something similar, like before we knew about this company, a continuum of like, oh, like what if we had bounties and we assert? and it turns out there's insatiable demand for those types of uh, for companies like wanting this this talent and will pay for this talent, but there isn't supply, and the mm, reason yeah. there isn't supply yeah. is because your network is your most valuable asset as an executive, yes, and you do not open up that network unless you have a relationship with the company. And you can yeah. tell your friends, "Hey, this is what this is the good, bad, and ugly of potentially working with these folks." And so, I, I love what Palette's doing. I know Kai, uh, the CEO yeah. over there. Um, but one of my big learnings, um, as it relates to making placements, is you have to have trust in order for somebody to open up their network.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's a really great point, and I think. One of the reasons why i've seen some aspects of pallet work are in the cases where you do get someone like a, I'm just name dropping for the sake of this, but someone like a Packy McCormick who yeah. you know has um you know over a hundred thousand subscribers, probably more than that now where uh, it's it, it it would be unfair to say that's his network because you know, his network's probably something a lot smaller that of like people he actually knows, but it almost yep. benefits in that way that because that his network er- or that number is so large, there's a little abstraction of the relationship between him and all hundreds of thousands of those people, which so, you know, knowing that uh, when he posts a job there, I mean, you hope that it is a good job and that the company that's posting it is a good company. But uh, the the level of trust that is required in that is different than, the level of trust that an executive would be making to say, "Hey, Nolan, like you should really take a look at this job. Like it's a really good opportunity." You got uh, it. But I, I think you're right. I think you're right, though, uh, when it comes to that that insight. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, and I, you can either take this from the lens of having probably done this in terms of uh, when you worked in at um, Carter or you worked at DoorDash or what you're seeing from the platform now. How do you just dis- how do you kind of figure out what is a work product or a project or you know the specific deliverables per se or the types of uh work that gets like you know serviced up? You know, how do you yeah. figure out which are those types of things that are most common uh or what people on or companies on the platform want to hire for?
1: Yeah. The short answer is is doing things that don't scale. And mm-hmm. so before we raised our seed round, the way that we validated demand for continuum was I called outbounded people to see if like there was any problems that they could solve with like an advisor or a coach. And we would just jump on the phone and just do some exploration to figure out what was actually going on in the company and what were the primary problems to solve. And through that, that's where we figured out those three jobs to be done. Um, But what's, what's super interesting is, is that as we got like deeper with demand um we started to figure out that the jobs to be done are actually hyper specific by the type of vertical that we're solving so our first vertical that we solved was people operations and it turns out the biggest problem to be solved in people operations today with a fractional executive or expert is compensation there is insatiable demand for compensation projects and the reason why is is because there's not enough supply so not enough heads of total rewards or heads of compensation That have actually done this work and want to continue doing this work as a full-time employee. Um, And so you end up in this spot if you're a Series A, Series B, Series C, Series D company, and you need comp help and you don't have a head of total rewards, your existing solutions is like working with a Compensia or one of these really large, stodgy consulting firms who will charge you $100,000 and not give you an output that the team can actually use every day. And so um, so that's a great example of like how we figured it out is we just started getting closer to companies. And my favorite part is is that like the original matchmaking process was literally me of just, hey company, you have this problem. Hey, executive, this company has this problem. Are you interested in you know, talking to them? And then me, they said yes, and then me facilitating the match between supply and demand. And we've since productized that experience. Um, And it's more of a managed marketplace. So like we don't let demand see all of our supply because we've learned that supply doesn't want to be pinged incessantly like they are today on LinkedIn. And there's lots of learnings there. Um, But ultimately, the way that we figured out these answers is by getting to the lowest level of detail and doing things that don't scale.
0: And so as you think about... Because I presume that uh, there is an expansion plan or a growth plan in terms of finding potential new industries or verticals, if you will... How do you, uh, um, it sounds like there's a product element of this. And so there's probably some signals that you can ingest to figure out what could be next. But, um, you know, no, if you are trying to grow and scale, how do you then decide, okay, we want to go after, you know, this function or this vertical yeah. or within this vertical, these are the types of things that we'll, we'll want to go to next.
1: Yeah. So we've actually already expanded into finance, marketing, security, and engineering. And yep. the reason why we have picked those verticals is because demand is pulling it from us. Mm-hmm. So we like to think of, of us as like a true marketplace that you know we're, we're creating supply to ultimately meet demand. And people ops was a really interesting vertical to start with because number one, the function has drastically changed from a compliance to a strategic focus function in the last 10 years. Number two, um, COVID upended everything and made every company think about people ops as a core function. And then number three, there's just not enough supply to meet demand. And so it was like the perfect vertical for us to start in because companies couldn't hire the type of talent that they needed full time. And so now as we've made relationships with dozens of companies on our on, that are our customers, they come back to us and they tell us, Nolan, wow, this has been an amazing experience we need now help with finance like and this is obviously mm-hmm. coming up right now given the tech recession and everything going on sure. there um, but similarly like with security and engineering and marketing like we didn't have um we didn't have perspective on where we should go we are just going where demand is pulling us so demand pull is the way that we think about it um to yep. answer the the other question around scale so what's really what we think is really interesting about scaling a managed marketplace is that it's really not rocket science to facilitate these matches um, What you ultimately are optimizing for, if you are a company, is an executive or expert that's been in my space. So, for example, like B2B SaaS or marketplaces or whatever it may be, um, that's been one to two stages beyond where we currently are. So if I'm Series C, I want to be working with somebody that has like, you know, Series D or Series E or even post-IPO experience. Um, And that has expertise in the area that we have a problem. Those are really like the three facets that matter. And then over time, as we begin to facilitate liquidity, so matches between supply and demand, we then gather data on all of those matches about the executive and about the company. And so as time goes on, we could start to actually optimize for, hey, we know they said that they are an expert in this thing. They actually are. And we validated that from the person that hired them in the last fractional gig. Or as time goes on, which you know we get a lot of questions about, is how people think about harmony and culture and some of the softer things. Yeah. And you could actually figure that out by just like getting people engaged, getting them to work together, and then ha- them having tell us what went well and what didn't go well from their experience. And then as time goes on, that machine gets smarter and smarter and smarter, and it becomes like the most important asset that we're building.
0: So the other part of the, the 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 stool or the marketplace that we haven't or that we haven't talked about as much yet is uh, the piece with the actual talent itself and in particular one of the things that you mentioned w- which I can resonate with is that a lot of them they want to show up and do the work they don't necessarily want to go out and do a whole ton of you know building a personal brand or or anything yep. in that nature? Can you talk a little bit more just about how you help them solve that specific challenge? And uh, the, but the part about matching them to opportunities makes sense. But could you share a little bit more about um, how you help them amplify, you know, their skills, their abilities, as well as just their the credibility of the work that they've done?
1: Totally. So this is what we're working on right now, and this product's going to launch at some point in the next five to six weeks. Uh, but the idea here is that there isn't an existing solution in the world that an executive or expert can showcase their fractional work. LinkedIn is great for saying here's my full-time logos and here how long I've been there and you know from that I think a lot of people start to pattern match oh if they worked at a Sequoia backed company or an Andreessen backed company and they've had stints longer than 2 years like they must be pretty good. Um that's actually like a terrible signal like it actually means nothing. Um and so the way that we think about this problem is is that there is space in the market for an arbiter. And what I mean by that is is like, again, Airbnb is the best analogy. You know, people say that the picture, the photos were what allowed Airbnb to scale. And I would say, well, that was what was necessary. Like they had to have photos for me to go stay in a stranger's home, but they also had to have reviews. And so reviews is something that many companies have tried to crack over time and haven't been successful. And the reason we think we will actually be successful is because we have all of the data. And because we facilitated the match, we know exactly who the buyer is on the demand side. We know exactly who the executive is on the supply side. And at the end of the engagement or even during the middle of the engagement, we can start to facilitate feedback on both sides that is vetted by a trusted arbiter, which is Continuum. And so as we think about building out this storefront, which is that product I'm talking about that's coming out here in the next month or two, the storefront, one of the core features will be trusted reviews. And so we can actually say, we know who gave this review and you know uh, we're figuring out ways to like showcase that. And these are hard problems to solve. But ultimately, that is the way that an executive will be able to truly talk about their work is a company talking about that executive on their storefront.
0: One of the things, and I think that the, the, the importance of reviews um, shouldn't, uh, uh, it needs to be underscored. But one of the things I think what it speaks to as well is that there are a lot of things that people do and have expertise or capabilities or strengths in that are really hard to necessarily articulate or demonstrate to the external world. Uh, the yeah. old, the proxy that we've had so far has has been LinkedIn, um, or traditionally a resume. but Even before that, and I do think that is changing slightly in terms of certain professions, like for example, creatives. Right, in terms of um, you know um, uh, you know you can have a portfolio or a website. Um, you know, there's uh, you know certainly for software engineers, it would be like your GitHub, right? Uh, yeah. In terms of being able to showcase your code. Um, so there there is a more there's starting to be a little bit more expansion there, and then even um, you know, as I think you know because you you are a startup founder, um, there's definitely a a popular somewhere between a meme and a joke of uh the the fact that right now there's a lot of companies that are going after very very specific elements of LinkedIn. Um, because LinkedIn has gotten so big and picking yep. off, you know, certain uh, certain pieces of it, and so there are other companies out there like Polywork, for example, which is trying to kind of showcase yourself in a more expansive way, um, particularly for those people who maybe are like one of those multi-hyphenates that you know do have a lot of different things going on, such as maybe um, fractional work or maybe some other other types of things and elements as well. And so I think it is really uh, important and interesting that you're taking the review approach because. Um, if you do a bunch of things and they add value, there should be a way to be able to showcase that and to be able to leverage that in ways that can help you gain additional opportunities and whatnot um because at the you know at the end of the day, like if you, again, talk to any um you know solo business owner or entrepreneur, it's like you know what's one of the hardest things you know d- once you deliver a great piece of work, how do you find that next how do you find that next client, right? Like how do you find yep. the next opportunity? so, yeah, um one um one other thing I wanted to ask you about on this uh when because you're working with growth stage companies um and some of them are at different stages in their journey uh, wondering if you see potential any potential for anything around being able to help optimize the their own hiring decisions right or figuring out for them around like you know hey, like you know like we're seeing you know these are the types of things that you know companies like this are focused on at this stage. Um, here's when it might make sense to, you know, really uh balance the portfolio or add either add yeah. new full-time employees or or balance like the amount of you know contractors or fractional employees or things like that. Is that potentially something in the mix as well?
1: Totally. Um what we we have a very interesting lens into what's happening at yeah. pre IPO companies yes. because we're collecting data on two things. One is the stage size, right? Like just in company type. Um, and then the second thing is is the type of problem that the company is trying to solve. And so you can imagine a world, I mean, we're probably not super far away from this, in 12 to 18, 18 months, that we can leverage that data to help a company predict what what problems they will have as they scale. Mm. And mm-hmm. that's what's getting really exciting for us as we're already starting to see patterns emerge. Um, mm-hmm. One pattern that we've seen just anecdotally is... When you get to Series B, almost every company that is Series B um, that's a customer of ours has engaged with us in a compensation project. And the reason why is because you've now had at least two rounds of fundraising. Um, You likely haven't done an equity refresh program. You have to think about uh, how to value the equity now, probably in terms of dollars versus in terms of percentages. You have to build a new compensation philosophy. And it really doesn't make sense for you to hire a head of total rewards at 100 people. And there aren't that many heads of total rewards that exist out there. And so we're able to, like in this case already, for any company that's going Series B, we're able to cold outreach and say, hey, we know 50 other companies that have been in the exact same shoes that you are. And we know you have a call problem. And we can solve it for you with a world-class expert that is way cheaper than the existing stodgy search, search firms and consulting firms. So that's like a perfect example of us being able to use predictive analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the aperture that we have into all of these pre-IPO companies to figure out what problems that they are going to have at the next round.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, it sounds like right now you're really focused on honing in, at least on the supply side around executives. But just curious if you ever see a world of of moving outside of that uh, clientele and into you know yeah. other 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 folks with expertise that are non non executives.
1: Yeah, C- certainly is the answer. Uh, yeah. The question is more about timing. And mm-hmm. so the way that we define executive today is is director, head of, VP, SVP, uh, and C-level. And the reason that we have optimized for this group is because they are drastically underserved in today's world. Um, the The solution for them is executive recruiting. There are now hundreds of executive recruiters, including boutique firms and the large firms, and all of them are a service with a human that serves between the middle of the executive and the company. And the problem with humans is that we have bias, it's that we have limited apertures. And so we believe that solving this problem first and ultimately getting distribution of any type of job, full-time or fractional, out to everybody will help reduce a lot of the problems that we see in tech today, especially as it relates to diversity and inclusion. And so I'm just maniacally focused on the executive problem right now, because I think it is so broken for both executives and companies, but Al, a hundred percent, I mean, you can imagine a world to where after this, we go after, you know, the world-class ICs, the individual contributors of the world. Um, And that's why often I'll use the term experts and executives, because we are already starting to think about them and we already get demand for those types of people. But there isn't a world in which we turn into the Upwork or Fiverr's. Which I think is serving the long tail, we will always be exclusive for the world's top talent.
0: So I want to riff and abstract for a second because I know we've been talking mostly about continuum and just thinking about fractional work or uh, project-based work or you know basically non-w2 uh, employees broadly speaking. Um, and even just this morning reading McKinsey just came out with a report. Um, that just talked, uh, you know, I think for a long time, Upwork had the statistic about um, like 50% of the workforce by 2027 was going to be essentially like a non-W2 employee. And so McKinsey just came up with some research maybe last week um, that more or less, um, that statistic was maybe from 2017 or 2018, but McKinsey came out with one from 2022. And um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it, it more or less affirmed that we're getting closer and closer towards uh, you know, more and more, there's more and more interest in in non-WT work, more and more interest in terms of yep. um, individuals wanting that. I would be curious to know just from you and just kind of uh, just thinking into the future, you know, what, uh, what could a future kind of workforce for a company look like in terms of how companies would be amenable to or think about maybe sh- continuing to shift that balance of uh, folks that they have who are traditional W two employees, full time employees, yeah. versus you know picking up freelancers, fractional executives, things like that.
1: Totally. So I, I think about this deeply. It's one of the reasons that we started the company when we did because we felt the puck was moving in this direction. And so today, if you go talk to a late stage private company, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety five to ninety eight percent of their staff are full time employees. And when you think about, um, you know, does that actually make sense in today's world? I actually think the answer is like, obviously no. Um, And so that's like, well, well, what problems are we trying to solve? And as I had mentioned, there's three, right? Advisor slash coach, project work, and interim leadership. Like those are the three problems and jobs to be done that we've seen. And so the way that companies think about solving problems today is with full-time resources. And I think that's going to start inverting. And I actually think the recession that we're in right now will ultimately move this ball forward uh, down the field faster because as companies begin to rehire, they do not want to take on fixed costs. They want flexible costs. And so I think that's going to help us accelerate. But I I think what the world's going to look like in the future for companies, it's going to be full-time employees because full-time employment isn't dying. Um, It's just going to be thought of differently and then there's going to be a large set of contributors that contribute to this broad network of many different companies. And so that late stage company that I had referred to earlier that has, you know, 95 to 98% full-time employees, I think in the future it's going to look more like 70-30 or 80-20. And when you have problems that you don't have expertise in the building or don't have bandwidth, bandwidth in the building to solve, you can very easily tap a marketplace like Continuum to go get that person who is vetted, who we have feedback on, that you can immediately start working with today, which solves the timing problem. It solves the cost problem of a full time employee, um, and and it solves the the efficacy problem. So today, when we interview, interviewing is such a joke, you know, nobody actually knows what we're getting. I think Google did a study, um, you know, about four or five years ago, and they found that one person out of the entire company had correlation between interview performance and job performance. It's nuts. Like we're just wasting a bunch of time. And so my thesis is, is not only will there be more contributors, I think there will also be less interviews. And instead of interviewing, we will have a trusted arbiter like a continuum and we will just get to work with somebody. And if it doesn't work in two weeks, we'll end the engagement and start a new one with somebody else because that's candidly a lot faster and a uh, higher signal than the, the world that exists today.
0: So, one anecdotal data point, I use a bunch of contractors right now for certain things to run my business. And I stopped doing interviews and started doing exactly what you just described. And that reason why was because I I just the time, uh, by the time you add up all what you put in to interview a whole bunch of candidates, uh, make the decision, put out the offer, get them set up, you could just have just said, All right, we're going to work on a two week project and I'm going to pay you for it. And we're going to see at the end of it if. If this if this is a good fit. And if it is, we'll continue it. Uh, and if not, um, thank you. And I'll go and look for someone else instead. And it has significantly decreased or given me hours back to, to do other things. And yep. also, I think, uh, if that future that you describe is one where there are less interviews, I think you will have uh, a lot of other people who are super happy about that, uh, for a number of different, number of different reasons. One um one other thing on this on this topic of of if in fact we do see something like this, what do you think that means, uh, for uh, indiv- or We'll say indiv- uh, uh, everyday employees, if they are going to work in a world now, yeah, uh, where it does become more common that uh, where we're a world where full time employment still does exist, but perhaps there is less of it and there is more contributing or fractional kind of work. What do you think that means for the average employee or their own career, for that matter?
1: Yeah. So Scott Belsky, in his trends report this year, uh, referred to the rise of polygamous work. And you know, to to answer your question, I think it means a, a couple of different things for employees. Um, but specifically, the employees that have a deep expertise or niche. Like I, I, do think that that is a requirement in order to to do polygamous work. Um, some of these these jobs that are being commoditized today, I'd actually say engineering is one of these jobs because there's now so much engineering talent flooding the market from these amazing boot camps and and schools. Um, I don't think engineering by itself anymore is like a a huge problem to be solved in which you can leverage somebody with a polygamous skill set. You want somebody that has like deep DevOps or infrastructure experience, and that's the type of person that's going to be getting this work. But if you do have that deep expertise or niche um, and you're working full time, the world as it is, as it is, existed up to this point is on one end of the spectrum, you work full time, and on the other end of the spectrum, you're retired. And I think it's going to be a continuum moving forward of where am I at in my life design and what am I optimizing for in my life design becomes the first principle. And so I I thought about this before I started the company and I was in this mode. My, My daughter was just born. I was transitioning out of Carta and I didn't want to work full time for three months. And I was lucky enough to be able to do that. But in the future, what I would want instead is like, can I, you know, join a company as an advisor for five hours a week, right? Because that actually would have been great, right? I'm still in tech. I'm still helping companies solve problems. I'm getting joy out of it. But I'm spending the majority of my time with my family, you know. Now I'm in a mode to where I'm a founder and I'm building, and like I want to do this with every ounce of my being, and so I'm I'm ready to do this right now. But I actually I actually coach a couple of G people officers on the side, right? Like so, that's my polygamous career. I think that that spectrum is going to explode. Like I can't even imagine like the types of engagements that we'll see in the future. But I do think we are going to see the rise of the polygamist career for those people that have the deep expertise or niche. I
0: I think you're absolutely spot on. And I I definitely can uh, empathize with that. And it's one of the reasons why I chose to leave full-time employment to do the work that I do um, and to be able to start first with the design of my life and then to figure out the different ways in which I want to work to uh, fit within that. And for me, uh, I'm obviously biased, um, but I think it's worked out uh, just great so far. But I do see a, a world where, to your point, if you do have deep expertise, you're going to have more modes and ways of figuring out how you want that to show up in the work that you do each and every day, or if it yep. is every day for that matter, right? Um, you know, and, and whatnot.
1: And that's, that's why our mission is to liberate the world's top talent. Because today, a full-time employment relationship... It, you're owned by the company. I had a friend once tell me, Nolan, when they put a C or a VP next to your name, that company owns you. And that is so true. Having lived the experience, it just is what it is. Um, sure. But when yep. you are working fractionally, you own your time, you own yourself, yep. you own your outputs. And I think we're starting to see that flip happen. And I think it's happening slowly right now but will accelerate and then it'll be all of a sudden this is the way that the world works
0: uh so nolan church ceo of and founder of continuum this has been a great great conversation i've really enjoyed chatting with you uh learning more about continuum as well as talking about really the future of talent in the workplace if people want to learn more about continuum or they want to follow you where can they go and where can they find you
1: yeah check us out um joincontinuum.com is our website, uh, and then you could find me, uh, on Twitter at Nolan Church.